Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we are going to be looking at some familiar content, some things that Solomon has already brought up beforehand, he's going to bring up again. He's going to make some different comparisons uh, concerning this subject matter, which is dealing with death. He's going to bring up death again. Beforehand, he was talking about death in the sense of you know, comparing the wise and the foolish. They both die the same way. What's the difference? What's the point? And tonight he's going to make another comparison. And again, when, when we're looking at, at uh, the content of what Solomon is, is writing here, these, these are his observations of life. These are his things that he is looking over, he is considering, he's pondering on, he's meditating on. And really, a lot of what he is doing is showing the emptiness of a life without the Lord. And so when you're looking at passages like this, it can be you know, kind of grievous at times or sorrowful as you're looking over a passage. It can, can lead us into a, maybe a little bit of despair, at least on the surface. But he then establishes the very thing that gives everything meaning and everything purpose and joy that is in this life to be had. And so death is one of those things that he is going to be referring to tonight. And the thing about this book, which I, which I just I've enjoyed it so much thus far, and I pray that it has been helpful to you, is that Solomon asked the questions that are often on our own hearts that we don't ask. And that's why it is so enlightening in one sense to see that there are these questions within the Scripture, that there are these, these situations in which Solomon is going to bring out for us and make the comparisons on things we wonder about. And it is very beneficial because he then establishes the reality of how things truly are for those who are in Christ. So he's going to be talking about death. He's also going to be talking about in our passage tonight <clears throat> some other things that he has not discussed thus far, which is justice and righteousness. As Solomon is observing and Solomon is looking over, he is seeing injustice. He is seeing unrighteousness. And he's seeing injustice in the place in which justice should be established, which is in perhaps he's considering the courts. He's seeing unrighteousness in the place in which righteousness should be, which is among those that are at the temple. And it really, these things are... are, very familiar to us, at least in the sense of what we long for in our own day. We desire justice. When we see when wrongs have been committed, we want justice. But we want the correct kind of justice. We don't want, we don't want injustice, meaning the person doesn't receive the punishment that is due. We don't want to see a punishment that is way beyond what the crime is called for. We want true justice. We don't want to hear of Judges taking a bribe or lawyers taking a bribe or witnesses on the stand who perjure themselves. We don't want to hear any of that. We, we want justice. We do want to see the punishment to fit the crime instead of something going overboard. We want to see justice. We want to see punishments dealt correctly. 
We want to see righteousness within the place in which righteousness should dwell, which is in the church, among the people of God. It is kind of a a thought that we wish perhaps was true concerning all the churches in America, for example, that they were seeking true righteousness, that they they had good intentions concerning the scriptures of, of all that they were doing in the sense that they are trying to line up with the scripture. I'm not talking about having good intentions and doing something completely off the rails. Good intentions, yes. Does it please God? No. What pleases God is doing what is written. We desire to see that within the churches. You know, it would be amazing to see that kind of a commitment to the, to the word of God throughout the nation itself among all the churches, but unfortunately we don't see that. We see a lot of abuses in the churches. We see a lot of what's referred to as rock star pastors who love the attention, who lord over their congregations, who abuse their congregations, who cause all kinds of strife within their congregations in the congregants themselves, just following the pattern of, of the pastor, committing the same things within their own lives, Deli- delighting in unrighteousness. It is... A sad, sad day, especially when you see those that are in a leadership position within the church who have committed such abuses on their congregation. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But what are we to think of these things? We want righteousness where righteousness should dwell. We want justice where justice should be. And we don't find it. We often don't find it. So how are we to consider this? What are we to do? Where are we to look? And Solomon asks these difficult questions for us. And then he points us to the very comforting truths of what we find in the scripture themselves concerning the Lord and his righteousness and his justice. For that is what we have to rely on. And I pray that we will see that as we work our way through this passage. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We are reading verses 16 to 22 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Verse 16. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time, for every matter, and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity." All go to the same place. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast ascends downward to the earth? I have seen that nothing is better than that a man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we again come into your presence to offer you the praise of our hearts, to rejoice in your word that gives us 
such hope and comfort in the time in which we live. Father, guide our thoughts tonight. May the Spirit of God apply the passage to our hearts. May we delight in you and all that you have done for us. Bless the preaching of your word. May it accomplish all you desire. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. So, some familiar content, at least in the sense of Solomon contemplating death, and the things that are added in here that he has not referred to yet, again, is that on the subject of justice and righteousness. And again, these are his observations. These are things that he is seeing, things that he is viewing, perhaps presently as he is pinning this, or just throughout his life, he saw these things. But he is laying them out for us, and again, he allows us to see sometimes the frustration of life, the emptiness of life, all these things that we experience apart from the Lord himself. He begins in verse 16. He says, Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness. In the place in which there should be justice. Perhaps in the courts is what he's looking at. What he is considering. There should be justice. There should be right punishment. Right judgment. You know, when you think of justice in our own day, you know, it's often depicted, personified with Lady Justice. You know, she's blindfolded. She doesn't show any partiality. She has her balance, balancing scales, and they're equal, meaning the punishment is going to fit uh, the, the act that was done. You see the sword, which her, her justice is swift and final, all of this. But often we just, we don't see that. We see some corruption In the course, that doesn't mean that everything that happens within the court system is corrupt. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there are times in which we do find that. And we do see that. There is one particular mural that that I I really love. um, That I think is a much better depiction of Lady Justice. And I first seen it in in a picture uh, of a book by Francis Schaeffer. Um, and it was uh, How Then Shall We Live was the name of the book. And he has the picture of this mural within the book, and it's in Luzon, Switzerland, uh, in the courthouse itself. And the mural is called Justice Lifts the Nations, and it was done in 1904. And what you see in the differences of this one concerning, or in the comparison between this mural and that of Lady Justice that we know is one, she's not blindfolded. She's dressed in white. Her right hand holds the scales, signifying judicial fairness. Her head is surrounded by light, suggesting divine illumination. She has 12 judges surrounding her, looking to her for guidance. And in her left hand, and here's some of the difference, in her left hand, she holds the sword, and the sword is pointed down to an open Bible. And the judges had to pass by this mural every time they ascended the stairs to go into their court proceedings. 
that her justice was grounded in the word of God. And where the word of God teaches us the principles of true justice, it was, it was Lady Justice that was pointing her sword of judgment, grounding it in the, in the scripture itself. <clears throat> that is a great depiction of what justice should be. Grounded within the word of God, for that is where you see true justice. You see the, the very things that we find, by the way, the very things that we find within the word of God are the very things that we find within our own system of law even today. And the very things that we want today, we see that God established in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. An eye for an eye. The punishment fits the crime. Tooth for a tooth. A foot for a foot. Right? And the idea there is, is that the punishment is going to fit the crime. You want to have at least two or three credible eyewitnesses that saw this particular thing happen in order to pass judgment on someone. That's grounded in the Old Testament. You don't want to see or hear of a judge or a lawyer or anyone else taking bribes. And the Lord was very much against that as well within the Old Testament. There is that true understanding of justice. The principles of justice are there. And it's this kind of justice that we often want to see. And often, you know, we can look at at, uh, times uh, and we can see that. Um, Maybe not to the extent of what we would like. Does anybody remember... The, uh, the gymnast doctor, Larry Nasser and all of that that had taken place. How many gymnasts did he sexually abuse? Well over 30, I believe. I can't even remember the number. He got life in prison. He's never going to get out. And while justice, in one sense, was served could be argued perhaps that the punishment really didn't fit the crime. That the punishment should have been more severe than what it was. We see how someone can go into a movie theater and randomly shoot people or go into a school and randomly shoot people. And we want justice. Sometimes we don't see that. There are times in which you have people that, that have endured great abuses by people or have been victims of other people and you want justice and sometimes it doesn't happen. Think of the, the situations that have been just in the last decade or whatever. I mean, how many, how many players was it at a college over, I think it was in North Carolina, that, that uh, had committed rape? You want to see justice. How about the ones that never really get to the courts? How about sometimes with the the young ladies that happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time who end up getting drugged and then they wake up the next morning understanding that they've been violated? You want to see justice. Sometimes you may not see it in your own lifetime. And that's where the frustration come in. That's where you, you, you look at the world and you, and you look at the court systems and you look at the law and you say, I want to see justice. This isn't right. There should be punishment here. And the punishment should fit the crime. This man shouldn't be able to live his rest of his life in prison knowing that he had just abused and hurt numerous, numerous young ladies. Where's justice? 
And that's the frustrating part. Because what can you do? What can you do about it? You see it happening, but what can you do about it? And then he goes on. I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. Within the place in which God should be worshipped, Solomon says there's wickedness. You see corruption of priests within the Old Testament. That's in a number of different places that you can go and you can read. You can see what they had done. You can see the anger of the Lord against them. The church should be a place in which righteousness dwells because we are coming to worship the one true righteous God and to learn of his ways and to, to try to live our lives in such a way that he is honored. And what happens? You see within the church, you see great abuses in the church. You see wickedness in the church. I think it was maybe eight months ago. Uh, did anybody see the, the video uh, eight months ago of a young lady who had walked into the church service and had confronted her former pastor for his sexual abuse of her right in front of the congregation? There was no repentance from the pastor. What he ended up trying to do was to, to kind of minimize it down. And he said, 20 years ago, I had committed adultery. That's what he said. But it was only with one person, and I haven't done it since. Well, little did he know that the young lady was in the audience and had gotten up. She's not a young lady now. But she had gotten up, and she began to actually confront him and to let everyone know that this is what actually happened. She was 16 years old from a person who should have been her shepherd, who should have, who should have guided her, cared for her, loved her in the way that a shepherd should love the congregation. Or how about just lording over people, frightening them, with, with various punishments. I mean, you, you take Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill. What was he doing? He was lording over his people. He was using bullying tactics against his elders in order to get his way. That's, that's wickedness. That's not righteous. There is there's unrighteousness and wickedness that in the place in which righteousness should dwell. I mean, what, what is it that the church is to do when they gather but to worship and to honor the Lord, to learn? And then what is it that we're to do? We're to put into practice what the calling of God has made us. We are to learn from the scriptures and begin to implement this in our life. What is pleasing to the Lord? Let me read it here. Oh, Lord, I see that this is what is pleasing to you. Change my heart. Help me, Lord, to carry out what you command of me. Let me live before you in a way that honors your name instead of bringing reproach. Because we understand this very clearly, too, that any time that there is any kind of sexual misconduct or any kind of misconduct within any leader, that the news people are always ready to jump on it. It's interesting People that are 
amoral seem to have standards when it comes to those in the church. And it just helps to further them, I think, in their own depravity. You guys are supposed to be this, and look at this. The church is the place in which God should be honored, worshipped, and that we submit to him. Submit to his submit to his law, submit to his standard in which he has called us to. And not abuse, not cast off uh, any standard that God has and live however we want and all of this. We are to try to maintain the purity of the church within the local congregation and in the lives of us individually. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit collectively. Each of us are members of the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we seek after righteousness as the Spirit is doing the work within us. Solomon is looking over this and he's, he's frustrated. He's mourning it. All you have to do really is look at the time in which Jesus lived. And you can see how the religious leaders were, were acting in those days. They were hypocrites. They were in it for the recognition or the money. Many are in the same the same situation as them. They love the places of honor. They like the fame. And that's, that's, that's why some perhaps get into the ministry just for that reason. The rock star pastors that you see who cast off the law of God or they cast off any kind of a standard of what God has and they like the attention. Whenever you remove the law of God and the standard of God in which he has set for his people, then all you really have is antinomianism within the church. That's against the law or no law. Whatever is permitted. Because God is a forgiving God. And we're not under the law. So Solomon is saying to his readers, the justice is, is not there, the righteousness is not there. But then he brings us into this understanding of things. He says in verse 17, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time for every matter and for every deed is there. And this is where we turn to. This is where the hope lies. This is where the comfort can be given. In the time in which we see unrighteousness in the church and we see injustice in the law courts, what can we do about it? We see it. We're helpless to do anything. What do we rely on? And that's where Solomon brings us into the reality of things. It is God who will judge both the righteous and the wicked. All the injustices that we see and perhaps we'll continue on. We'll, we may never see the the. The, the rightness of whatever has happened or whatever be, be put as it should. But what we can rely on is that God is the one who sees all. And God is the righteous judge. And the judge of all the earth will do right. And what is right but to punish sin and to punish it accordingly. And that's where for the believer we look at those that commit such heinous murders or abuses and, and all of this. And we think to ourselves, you think... That you've gotten away with it in the sense that nothing else is going to befall you but to live in a jail cell for the rest of your life. 
And unless you repent, this is what you have to look forward to. Because the judge of all the earth will do right. He will right all the wrongs. And that's where our hope lies. That's where we can have peace throughout all the frustrations that you see. How can this be? What's going to become of it now? Well, the God who sees all will judge accordingly. And he will render correct judgment. And just as a side note, knowing that very thing, and that, that, that is one of the reasons why we can see Jesus' words in the New Testament in which he, he condemns Capernaum and, and some of these other cities because they failed to repent. And he says it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for you on the day of judgment, which gives us that understanding of the degrees of punishment in hell. How can there be degrees of punishment in hell? Not everybody gets the same thing. That's no justice. But you have the judge of all the earth who will render to each individual according to their deeds. And the righteous judge will administer correct justice, the very thing that we long for. And he will purge the evil from among his people at his appointed time. So that in the hereafter, in the time in which we are with him, that no unrighteousness will dwell among the people of God. That's where your hope lies. That's where you, you have to have peace knowing this, this very reality. And it is a reality. So Solomon then moves from this. After he looks over justice, he looks over the, the unrighteousness. He brings the conclusion in, God is the one who's going to judge it all. So then he goes back to some familiar content concerning death. He says, I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. Now beforehand, he was contrasting the wise and the foolish. What profit is there for me to be wise if I'm going to die like the foolish man? The fate is the same. There's no advantage for me to be wise. It's not going to help me live longer. At my appointed time, I'm going to die just as he is. Well, this time, he's contrasting not only the, the, the sons of men as a whole, whether you want to look at that as wise and foolish, putting them all in one category, but comparing them to the beasts, animals. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts, it's the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. Now, that's a bit depressing. Man's going to die in the same way that the animals die. Their life breath is going to expire. They die. Your life breath is going to expire, and you're going to die. They're going to go back to the dust. You're going back to the dust. So looking at it from that kind of a perspective, it is like, well, isn't there an advantage of being a human being over an animal? Have you ever really thought of that in the sense of just considering the animals that die? Not necessarily your pets. 
you know, when your your pet dies, it is a difficult thing, and you get attached to them. You love your pets, and then they 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 die. But just randomly, I mean, as you're going down the road, and maybe I'm morbid, I don't know, but it, sometimes just driving down the road, I look and I see a deer that's been hit, and it's sitting over to the side of the road. I'm like, you know, the very thing that men often fear, you just experienced. You're dead. The roadkill that you find along the road, it's dead. And it's going to be the same way in which man dies. You're going to go to the dust. You're going to go to the dust. What advantage is there? What's it all mean? Is there any profit in any of that? For the atheist, there isn't. For those without the Lord, there isn't. In fact, they would very much agree with what Solomon is saying here. God has surely tested them in order to see that they are but beasts. And the atheist would say, you're right. We're just animals too. There's nothing special about us. We're not any, any better than, than any other living thing. And that's why perhaps that they have the view of life that they do. As Jean-Paul Sartre, remember what he said? In the end, man is nothing more than a useless passion. Huxley, he had said that life is a dirty trick. no wonder they have the outlook on life that they do it's depressing it's, 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 it causes much despair we're here by a cosmic, cosmic accident and it's absurd that we even exist to begin with we're no better than the animals they die we're going to die we're going to experience the same thing What advantage does man have over the beast? It's all vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust. The same fate. The wise and the foolish have the same fate. The sons of men and the beast, same. So where's the happy outlook? How can we live a life then of, of joy? Well, you can't. Not with that kind of an outlook. He says, who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of beast descends downward to the earth? And he's not really talking about here whether or not, <clears throat> whether or not you go to Sheol or you go to heaven or whatever. He's really... As one commentator had pointed out, he's really just saying that it's unknown what happens when you die. When your breath, I mean, the breath of a man ascends, or does it go down? Does the spirit of a man, when it comes out of him, does it go up? Does it go down? Does it go this way or that way? We don't know. Where does it go? And again, these are just his observations. And, and also... Once again, he is showing us the emptiness of life apart from the Lord. 
You have nothing to look forward to. You have nothing to look at and to say, we have a great advantage over the animals. Well, how so? You're an animal too. You're going to go to the same place. But then he brings it all to conclusion here. At least conclusion for us in our passage tonight. A lot of this really extends into chapter 4 also. But he's not being cynical here either. He says, I have seen that nothing is better than that a man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. Now, beforehand, he had just said a little bit ago in chapter 3, in verse 11, he says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. So he's already given us an understanding of how to rejoice within the labors and the activities that we do in this life. And it's all grounded in the Lord. And that's where he's going back to again. He's reiterating what he has said previously. I have seen that there's nothing better than that. A man should be happy in his activities for that is his lot. After you see all the injustice and you see the unrighteousness and in the place in which righteousness should dwell, you consider the death of everything. We all die alike. There's no advantage from one to the other. What do you do? Well, perhaps what he is implying here, that a man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot, that life has to go on. As one commentator put it, life must go on. You give thanks to the Lord for the things that he has blessed you with. You give thanks to the Lord for the privilege that we have of knowing him, of serving him, of being called by him, of having a life to look forward to after this, knowing that he will set all things right. So take joy in what God has given to you and the time that God has given to you. Enjoy the present, for you don't know what will be after this, according to that last line. It will be far better for those that are in Christ, of course. But that's really where he's, he's putting it, considering all of these things. Where's the joy? What's it all mean? What's the point of it all? And he continues, continually brings us back to this, of the reality of God in our lives that gives fulfillment to it all. That gives peace for all the frustrations that you see. That gives a hope beyond the, all the death that we see. That allows us to enjoy the activities that we do in this life for the time in which we have. For that was something we had talked about before. As Solomon is looking over everything that he has done and everything that he has built. He says, it's going to be everything that I've done is going to be handed off to somebody else. I can't take it with me. It's going to everything I've worked for. It's going to be handed off to somebody else and even asked the question. What if he's a fool? Everything that I've worked for. It's going down the drain. But then what does he bring us back to when he's contemplating all of that? Is back to the reality of the Lord being the, our fulfillment in our life. Regardless of what happens to your 
your activities and your toil of everything that you've worked for. You're not going to be remembered, according to what Solomon says. And even that can be a little bit frustrating, especially if you put so much heart and time in, in your work and in whatever business that you're helping and all of this. But Solomon says, really, it doesn't matter. Because you can enjoy the fruit of your labor even now because it is God that has gifted you with this. And so when you have the right perception of things and you see it as a blessing from God, God, you've allowed me to have this time here on earth. You've allowed me to have these friends. You've allowed me to have this family. You've allowed me to have this place in which we, we are privileged to, to gather together to, to fellowship and to learn to have a church family. You've allowed me this job that I can care for my family. All of these things are a blessing from you. And while I have time, while you've given me time, I'm going to enjoy it and to rejoice before you because of it. Because of how great that you have been towards me. And that's what we have to always come back to is having the right perception of things. Because it can be a little unnerving when you consider death. And there's... Everybody dies the same. Just because you're a believer don't mean you get to live longer than the unbeliever. There's no advantage there. In one sense, we really shouldn't look at it like that because we have such a great hope after this life is over. But sometimes we catch ourselves viewing things in that way. I can look at my job and I can say, I got to get through another day just so I can get home and then do it all over again the next day so I can get home then I'll do it all over again the next day so I can make it home or you can look at it and say Lord thank you for allowing me to have this job because by you gifting me with this job and perhaps gifting me with this talent to do the job or whatever it is that you do, you allowed me to take care of my family. You allowed me to, to provide for myself, to have a home. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've given, for it's from your hand. There's a way to look at things with if we have the right perception of it to see that the time in which we have is a gift from God. The things that we have within our lives are a gift from God. The jobs that we have are a gift from God. And even death itself, though, for the unbeliever, it looks very unnerving. Even death for the believer says, well, there is an advantage. There is an advantage in death because I know where I'm going. And I know that what God has prepared is far better than this and so I have a hope and I have a peace at heart. And it all begins with re having that recognition of the greatness of the majesty and the glory of our God who has called us to be his own and who has granted us all these continued blessings in our life that we don't fall into despair like the unbelieving, even though we can see the emptiness of everything that they do and everything that they have. It's not empty. When you recognize that it is the Lord that has given it. And your purpose in life is not empty. As we've seen as well. Everything that we do in service to the Lord has eternal value. An eternal purpose. And there is great difference then. 
between having the emptied life of the unbelieving and having a fulfilled life in Christ. So how do you view your life as of right now? The injustices that you see, the great frustrations that we have, how do you, how, how do you deal with them? All the unrighteousness that you see within the, the umbrella of Christianity, how do you deal with it? Do you get angry? Do you become cynical? Do you lash out? What do you do? Or do you lift your eyes to heaven and say, Lord, there's nothing that I can do about that particular situation in that particular state, but I know that you can and that you will. And that no sin, no injustice will go unpunished. And we know that. Unrighteousness will be dealt with across the board. It will, it's either dealt with in Christ by his by him taking upon himself our unrighteousness, or it's dealt to the unbelieving who are under the judgment of God. Nothing will go unpunished. It will be dealt with. So don't allow yourself to become bitter and cynical and just whatever. The supreme judge is seated on his throne, ruling and reigning and he is fulfilling his will. And that's where our hope and peace is. So let us have the right perception of things when it comes to this life, when it comes to death, when it comes to the frustrations of this life. You have opportunity now to do right by the Lord, to live for the Lord, and to rejoice before the Lord, regardless of what else is going on. Because he has called you to be his own. And he gives you a life hereafter. Have the right perception of things. View things not through the lens of the unbelieving, but view things through the lens of the scripture. And things can be different as far as how you react to them. And let us thank the Lord that he has saved us and given us the mind of Christ that we may be able to do those things. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word and thank you for the truths that we find within your word. Your word is truth. Thank you, Father, for uh, moving men like Solomon to pen these words that really lay our own hearts bare before you. He asks the questions that are often on our own minds and he expresses frustration with the same things that we are frustrated with. But thank you, Father, that it, we, we're always pointed back to you. That this life is not just a life to despair with everything that goes on, but it's a life that we can have true peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to remember this and help us, Lord, to, to reflect upon these truths, especially in our times of difficulty, the trying times. Let us remember that you are indeed the judge of all the earth who will do right. For you are only a good God. No unrighteousness dwells with you. You will make all things right at your appointed time. Let us take comfort in that. Father, thank you for all that we learned through your word. And may the spirit of God apply it to our hearts. 
bringing it to our minds that we can continue to reflect upon it. Be glorified in us. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you for your attention, and you are dismissed.